there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I want you to take your copy of the Word of God, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's all right, I'm going to read from it, but I want you to try to look off somebody else's copy. So if you need to scoot down the, down the road and get next to somebody that's got a Bible so you can follow along, please do that. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Daniel, if you will, in the Old Testament. And I bring your attention in this hour to Daniel chapter number 5. Now, Daniel's an amazing book for many reasons. There's a lot of politics in Daniel, let me just tell you. It sounds a lot like the day and age we live in. And there are lots of kings, lots of leaders, and frankly, lots of foolishness. There's still a lot of that, isn't there? And Daniel had to deal with all of this, you see. And one of the things that I have learned and been reminded of reading through Daniel again is that the politicians don't have all the answers. God has all the answers. And what we really need is not just a a certain type of leader. What we really need is we need the Lord. We need divine intervention. Daniel's a reminder of that. Did you know someday you're going to see Adolf Hitler on his knees? That's right. Someday every president, every prime minister, and every dictator is going to bow the knee to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. The Bible says someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hope you believe that. I hope you've already bowed the knee. I hope you've already confessed that. If you don't do it now, you're going to do it later. It's going to be too late then. And one of those people that is going to bow the knee and confess who the true king really is, is the king we find in Daniel chapter number 5. His name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the grandson of a famous king, maybe you've heard of him, named Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon? He was the one who invaded Israel, carried them all the way captive, took Daniel and all of his buddies when they were just very young into captivity. Now Nebuchadnezzar has died, and his grandson, Belshazzar, is on the throne. Interestingly enough, Nebuchadnezzar came to know God. He came to know God. He came to confess who the true king was. You can read all about it in the book of Daniel. But his grandson, that's another story entirely. And let me just say this before I read. I had no intention of saying this, but on family day, I think it most appropriate to say, no one is a member of the family of God because your family is a Christian family. If you come to know God, you must come to know God for yourself. Now, Belshazzar's granddaddy came to know the Lord. But Belshazzar knew nothing about the true and living God. As a matter of fact, look at verse number 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast with a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father, or you see the word father here, but we know from history it was his grandfather, reference to his grandfather here, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. Stop just a second look at me. There's a whole lot of sin going on in these verses. 
They're drinking liquor, getting drunk. These feasts were immoral things. There was sexual immorality being conducted in the midst of this, this great orgy, this feast. And in Scripture, we read historically what happened at these events. So there's already immorality. But now listen to me, please. Anywhere there's immorality, there's idolatry. They're praising false gods. And he crosses a line. Did you know you can cross a line with God? You certainly can't. He crossed the line. He broke the first commandment. And now, not only does he worship false gods, but he rejects the true and living God, and he brings in the, the sacred vessels that they had stolen out of the temple in Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar's grandfather put in storage here near his throne room, and he brings them in, and he defiles them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's lots of things that you may do in life, but there's one thing you cannot do, and that is you cannot take away from the holiness of God. And at this moment, he crosses that line. They start drinking out of these vessels that have been sanctified for the temple use. And look what the Bible says in verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, let me just tell you something. That's going to mess anybody up. Now, I'm sure he's thinking, I've had too much to drink. I mean, something, something's not right here. But it wasn't just he that saw it. All the people there saw it. Can you imagine? Just a portion of a hand. That's all you see. Writing on the wall. We're going to find out in just a moment exactly what he wrote. But the point was this. We talked earlier this morning about hearing from heaven. He's hearing from heaven. And it's not a good message at all. It's God's message to him. It's a message of judgment. And the Bible says in verse 6, Then the king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled. So that the joints of his loins were loosed. And his knees smote one against another. Can you imagine a man who's in charge of the whole nation, who speaks and they do whatever he says, suddenly is so frightened in the presence of a holy God, his knees start shaking and hitting one another. Literally, that's what the Bible says. His countenance changes. Hear me with your heart just a moment. When you get in the presence of a holy God, everything changes. And suddenly now, what was laughter and a joke, it was just all a big joke against the true and living God. Now suddenly, he's got to get serious about it. Funny how eternity smacks you in the face, gives you a different perspective. I was preaching last week in New Jersey. I'd spoken one morning three times. I was a little tired, frankly. I got back to my room in the afternoon and went to my room, and my room key wouldn't work. <laughs> That's a little bit of a nuisance. And so I went down to the front desk, and I said to the lady, I said, my room key's not working, and she redid it. And I went back up, and I tried it again, and guess what? It didn't work again. Now I'm really annoyed. I go back to the front desk, and she says, you know, must be something wrong with that lock. I'll call a maintenance man. <laughs> so I went back up, and I waited in the hallway for a few minutes, and finally, here came the fellow. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I was, I was not uh, in the best frame of mind. I was tired. I just wanted to get in the room. I didn't want to talk to anybody. The fellow's working on the door, and I said something to him. I said, I'm visiting here in your town. I was speaking in a local church, and the moment I said the word church, his countenance changed. He looked at me, and he said, you're speaking at a church? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's interesting. I said, are you a believer? Do you know the Lord? That's exactly what the man said. I've never had anybody say it quite this way to me before. He said, sir, I believe that there's a God. He said, but I'm just going to be blunt with you. He said, I really love my sin. 
And he said, this world has captured me. About that time, he got my door open. That was good. We stepped in. I went over and took a piece of gospel literature that I'd written, and I said, I want to give you something to read about knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. And then, I know God prompted me. I said to him, but let me tell you something. You said this world had captured you, and I get that because we're all sinners and we all have certain things that attract us in this world in time. But I want to tell you something. You need to stop thinking about this world and you need to start thinking about the world to come because eternity is a long time. I thought of that a moment ago when I read this verse. It said his countenance changed because at that moment the man's countenance changed. He's standing in my hotel room, and he said to me, you're right. We stood there and talked a little while looked at some scripture, and I gave him my gospel testimony. And do you know, in about 10 minutes, that man bowed his head, standing in that hotel room, and called on the Lord Jesus and trusted Christ as his personal Savior. It was wonderful. Do you know what changed it? I'll tell you what changed it. Look, please. He got his eyes off himself and off this world, and he got his eyes on the God that we do not see, the invisible God who steps into time, who steps into our story to speak to us, to remind us that this world is not all there is and that your sin is not all there is. He's troubled by it. You can tell a lot about a man when God starts speaking by how he responds. I wonder when God starts speaking or someone speaks to you about eternal things, does it trouble you? Does it do something in your soul? Does it stir something on the inside? Look at what the Bible says in verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And by the way, when you got questions, be real careful where you try to get your answers from. Be much better to go to the God of truth. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men. <laughs> But they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. I've marked in my Bible, in verse 6, his thoughts troubled him. And in verse 8, they could not make known. So, watch please. You've got a fella who's the king who's supposed to know everything that he doesn't understand. Then you've got a bunch of wise men who's supposed to always have the answer, and they don't have the answers. I don't know about you. sounds a whole lot like the world we're living in today. An age of questions and a world of confusion and a spirit of deception. Did you know Romans 1 talks about that? Romans 1 describes the world we live in as being a world where God has been made known, but they don't really want to know Him. They, they want to know things, but they don't want to know God. We're living in the most educated generation in the history of the world. And you have at your fingertips on your cell phone more content and information and detail and facts than any generation has ever known. The whole world is at your fingertips. Watch this. And yet we got a generation that the world is at their fingertips, but eternity has escaped them. They're caught in time. They're stuck in in worldly knowledge, but there's very little divine wisdom in our world today. Timothy talks about that. First and second Timothy talks about a world where they're ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible talks about a day where there'll be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. See, God is a God of truth. The devil is a liar and the father of it. He was a deceiver from the beginning, and he's never changed. The first question in the Bible came from the devil. Yea, if God said. 
I'm going to tell you something about my God, the God of this book. He is not a God of question marks. He's a God of periods and exclamation points. He brings certainty and conviction and assurance. And I wonder today, what do you know? What do you know? Some days I feel like I know very little. Matter of fact, the older I get, the more the one thing I think I know is how little I know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, the more you discover and uncover, the more you think, you know, I'm really, I'm really pretty ignorant. And, you know, we all live in these fallen bodies, so we all have some ignorance to us because we have a sin nature. But let me tell you what happens. The deeper you go in sin, the more ignorant you become. I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a moment in Belshazzar's example. You see, because there is a miserable insanity to sin. It darkens your understanding. You ever pick up a newspaper and see such vile things being done or watch the news and say, how could people do that? I'm going to tell you how. Because the further you go away from God, the further you go away from God's truth. And I wonder today, what do you know? Sometimes I feel like I have lots of questions, and when I do, I have to go back to what I know for sure. Let me tell you one thing I do know. I hope you know this. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know there is a God and He loves me. I know that Christ died for my sins. I know if the whole world comes apart tomorrow that I'm going to be with God forever. I I know that for sure. Do you know that? I know that every man can lie, but God never lies. He's always true. I I know that I may not know what Wall Street's going to do tomorrow, and I certainly don't know what Washington's going to do tomorrow. But I know this, there's a God in heaven who's still on His throne. He's got his eye on me and his ear open to my prayer. And I ask you again, what do you know, sir? I didn't ask how educated you are. I didn't ask how many meetings like this you've been in, ma'am. I asked, what do you know? Young person. I didn't ask what grade you are in school or what you're pursuing at the university. I ask you this, what do you know? See, there were lots of wise men with no answers. There's a world full of those wise people today. Wise guys that always have something to say. But they lay in bed at night and stare at the ceiling and have their own questions. I'm going to just tell you. They can't answer the deepest needs of man. They can't tell you what's on the other side of death. They don't know. It's a funny thing. It's a really funny thing. But when suddenly they are, they are hit in the face with eternity and spiritual realities, and we'll tell you what they do, they come looking for somebody that knows God. That's exactly right. Read the rest of the story. Look, beginning in verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, that's Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. And he will show the interpretation. Belshazzar sends for a guy named Belshazzar. That's the pagan name they gave to Daniel. And so look at these two men. you got Belshazzar and Belshazzar. You want to talk about two very different men. And why are they different? Because one's a king and one's a servant? No, because one of them knows God and one of them does not. 
There's really only two groups of people in this room. There are those who truly know God and those who do not. There are those who have spiritual understanding. They don't have all the answers, but they know the God who does. And there are those who are still searching. And I wonder, which group are you in? I ask you again, what do you know? Let me give you my thoughts quickly. Number one, I want to suggest to you this morning that you recognize what others know. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean that the people standing in the palace that day knew that Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, did not have the answers. But they knew Daniel did. Did you know you're no better person than the person you are in the privacy of your own home? If I want to know what kind of Christian you are, what kind of man you are, what kind of woman you are, I would not ask your pastor. Mm -mm. I'd ask the people that live with you. They know. If you want to know what kind of preacher I am, listen to me speak. But if you want to know what kind of husband and father I am, you probably should ask Tammy and Morgan and Lauren and Grant because they really know the answer to that. It's a funny thing what others know. Did you know that others who live close to you know whether you really know God or not? I mean, you look, anybody can dress up for church and carry a Bible and come into an auditorium. Anybody can be nice in public, but did you know that others know whether you really know God or not? Look at the contrast between these two men. I never paid much attention to it until this week. Look at the contrast between these two men. On one hand, you've got a man who's consumed with his own pleasure. That's Belshazzar. He's drinking wine and has his women and, and living it up. He's living for his own pleasure like many men and women are today. But on the other hand, you've got Daniel who's given his whole life to please one person, and that is the true king, the Lord of heaven. He's lived his life not for himself but for God. It's a world of difference between those two men. On the one hand, you've got a man who's consumed with what he has. Maybe I should say what he has controls him, his stuff. As a matter of fact, he opens his mouth and tells himself, did you know your mouth always tells in your heart? When he brings Daniel in, you know what he says to Daniel? He says, Daniel, I'll give you everything. I'll, I'll make you third in the kingdom if you'll tell me what, what the truth is. Look at verse number 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. I'm going to tell you, you've got to have some boldness to look the king in the face and say, you just give your reward to somebody else. I'm not interested in your money. You want to talk about a world of difference? One man is controlled by his stuff, and the other man is so given to God, things don't have a hold on him. May I ask you a question? Are you controlled by this world? Are you consumed? A bigger house? A newer car, nicer clothes, more, more money in the bank account, a, a greater retirement, another week's vacation. I mean, what is it? What is this going to make you happy? Go ahead. You fill in the blank. If I could just get that, then I'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because the only thing that truly matters is the knowledge of God. And the only thing that brings joy and peace and contentment is knowing God. And I wonder, which man are you? I mean, you got to get in line. Get in line, please. you got to get in line behind Belshazzar. you got to get in line behind Daniel. Which line would those who know you best say you're in today? You know, on one hand, you got a man who's troubled. I mean, Belshazzar is one anxious guy. He may be the king, but he's scared to death. His own fears have taken hold of him. And on the other hand, you get this picture of an 80 or 85-year-old Daniel who's at perfect peace and rest. So much so he can stand in the throne room of the king and not be intimidated. How is that? Because his assurance is in the God he knows. And I wonder if you might look at yourself and remember what others know about you. 
Oh, but that's not all. Secondly, would you make a note of this? You should remember what you know. Daniel begins to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. I love this. He's just like a preacher, just like a preacher. He's not just going to tell you what you ask. He's going to give you a lot more. Isn't that just like a preacher? So before he interprets the dream, he gives a little sermon. Let's look at Daniel's sermon. Look at verse number 18. Oh, thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Stop, stop. You know what he's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to review all the things that Belshazzar should have already known. Funny how we know things and don't know them, isn't it? If I ask you right now, tell me about God, you'd tell me things about God, but I wonder, did your life reflect that this week? Do your priorities reflect that now? See, sometimes we need to hit the spiritual reset button and go back to what we know for sure. Let's, let's do away with all this junk and nonsense. Let's get back to spiritual realities. I mean, honestly, let's deal with what's eternal. And the first thing, the first thing you need to remember that you already know is this. God is great. You see the little play on words here? Nebuchadnezzar was considered the most high, but look at the verse. He doesn't call Nebuchadnezzar the most high. He just calls him Nebuchadnezzar. He says, God is the most high. And then, here's something else that you already know. Every blessing comes from God. Notice, he gave your father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Look at verse 19. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Look at me, please. Let me tell you something you know, but let me remind you of something today. Every blessing in your life came from Almighty God. How many of you are breathing? If your neighbor didn't raise her hand, check on them, would you please? Everybody take a breath. Would you just take a breath? Isn't that nice? Go ahead. Take another one. Just take another one. Isn't that good? Beats the alternative, doesn't it? Do you know that very breath is God's gift to you? The fact you're alive and could be here today, had the health and strength to even come here today, is God's blessing and gift. I'm going to tell you what's happened to us in America. We're so stinking spoiled. We love the gifts and we've forgotten the giver. We love the blessings with no thought of the blesser. What does James say? Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. How many of you have eaten in the last 24 hours? Multiple times, right? Already thinking about what you're going to eat when the preacher stops preaching. I know what some of you are thinking about right now. You know, every meal is God's gift to us. The rest we had last night with God's gift to us. You, you had clothes to put on today. That's God's gift to us. Could I remind you of something today? Forget everything else you know. Do you know God? And do you remember that every blessing comes from Him? That's not all. Read on. Look what the Bible says in verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew. I ask you again, what do you know? Look at the phrase, till he knew of the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Did you know this is an exact description of what happened to his grandpa? Nebuchadnezzar the king literally grazed in a field like a cow. Literally. He lost his mind. For a number of years, he had, he had no common sense at all. They said his, 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 his fingernails and toenails grew out like an animal's claws. He was so unkept. He was so to himself. God brought him low. Look, God lifts up and God brings down. 
Here's something all of us need to know. God resists the proud. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Can I tell you the one thing standing between most of us and God's best? Our pride. We're so full of us. People are going to go to hell because of their pride. They're going to go to hell because of their pride. Not because of their badness alone, but because of their goodness. They're too good to be saved. Too good to humble themselves. Too good to confess their need. Too good to call on Christ. Too good thinking about what others think of them. Look, forget that. What does God know about you? So full of pride. By the way, you don't think his grandson had heard that story? I wonder if perhaps even Belshazzar had been a little boy when Grandpa was grazing in a field. And the prophet said, God did that. By the way, God restored his mind and brought him back to the throne. So Belshazzar had seen all of this. Oh, Lord, help us right now. Do you ever think about how accountable you're going to be to God for all of the truth you've heard? For all the things we've seen and know. What some people have never heard once, we've heard a thousand times. And someday we're going to give an answer to God, not just for whether we knew it, but for what we did with it. If all you do sit in this room today and listen to me preach, we're in trouble. Because God's not looking for more hearers. He's looking for doers. Well, Chinese proverb says, too much talky-talky, not enough walkie-walkie. I think they're right, don't you? We talk a good game in church. By the way, when I finish preaching in just a minute, I intend to ask every person in this room to respond this morning. Every person. None of you say, well, I'm not responding. Then you've made your decision already. But I'm asking you to go back to what you know for sure. Look at verse number 21. The Bible says at the end, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men. Does he rule in you? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? Does he rule in your life? Look at verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Would you mark that phrase, the end of verse 22? I think it's the key to the whole chapter. Remember, I'm asking you, what do you know? Mark it in your Bible. Underline it. Put a star next to it. Verse 22. Though thou knewest all this. He said, you knew what I've done in the lives of other people. You knew what I demand. You knew what I desired for your life. But instead of doing something about it, you rejected the truth that I gave you. Listen to me, church. Light disobeyed always brings darkness. And light obeyed brings more light. So i got a real simple question. Which would you like to be your future, light or darkness? Because you're choosing that now. Lost men tumble off the edge of eternity into hell forever into what Jude calls the blackness of darkness forever. But the Bible says the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Look, I'm not trying to help you know things. I'm not trying to even help you know Daniel better. I'm trying to help us all know God better. I'm asking you, what do you know? Number one, remember what others know about you. Number two, remember what you know. But number three, this is most important. This is what we must always be brought to. Realize what God knows. Say, what does God know? Would you like the short answer? Everything. What does God know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So read the end of the story. Look at verse 23, but it's lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. By the way, do you see that little nugget there? He said, those old false gods, they don't know anything. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, 
Remember that breath you took a minute ago? The breath that's in you right now? Look at the phrase. The God whose hand thy breath is. And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. God says, first thing I know about you is I know where you are right now. Would you look me in the eye just a second, please? A preacher comes in and preaches a sermon to a people he's never seen before. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know you. I can't see beneath the surface. I don't, I don't know you. But there is a God who knows every one of us. He knows you better than your wife knows you or your husband. It'll really blow your mind. He knows you better than you know you. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the very next verse says, I, the Lord, search the hearts. God knows us. He knows right where we are. Did you notice it wasn't just what Belshazzar had done. It's what he had failed to do. I wonder, which is it in your life? What had he done? He had defiled those vessels. But what did he fail to do? He failed to give glory to God. May I ask, is there anything you've done or anything you've left undone that God says, I'm not pleased with that? Then... The Bible says that our God knows the end from the beginning. God's not just in your present. He's already in your future. See, God's not bound by time. You live in time. God doesn't live in time. He's the eternal God. He holds time in the palm of his hand. He's already way out yonder in your eternity. So read on because he's about to write Belshazzar's epitaph before he ever dies. Read it in verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tiku, upharsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tico, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. God says, I not only know where you are at this moment, I'm already in your future. How old are you? Don't have to tell me right now. Just get it in your mind. You know how old you are? You know, you're starting to get older when you have to think for a minute how old you are, you know. Now, I want you to add 100 to it. How old are you now? Somebody said, I'm dead. That's what I am. I'm, I'm not here. Oh, no. No, no. You're not dead. You're very much alive. You're somewhere. Can I tell you that what matters then is all that matters now? Funny how we get so taken with time, isn't it? Look up here just a second. See this dot right here, this dot right here, that's your birth. And this little line right here, that's your life, and this dot, that's your death. Somebody said, that's not very long, preacher. The Bible says our life is like the span of a man's hand. Can't make it longer. So here's your birth, here's your life, here's your death, and here, here's eternity. How far would you like me to go? If I ran around the building a hundred times, it might be enjoyable to watch, but it would still be an imperfect illustration because there's no end to eternity. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If that's what the God of truth says, and we know that to be true, then may I ask you a question? Why is it that we spend most of our life and energy on this and give so little thought to this? Spurgeon said the way to make the most of your life is meditate on your death. I'm asking you to go to the end and work your way backwards. When you stand before Almighty God to give an account of what you did with what you know, what's going to matter on that day? 
You see all the divine math? God brought, God brought Belshazzar into his accounting office. That's what he did. And he took out his calculator and his pen. By the way, God's math is different than our math. He, he measures differently than we do. Look at the three things he says. He says in verse 26, I've numbered your kingdom. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You can number the ones you've had, but only God knows how many you have left. And God said, time's up, buddy. We've numbered that kingdom. By the way, it's appointed a man wants to die after this the judgment. Someday God calls time on all of us. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 27. He said, I've weighed you in my balances and you're found wanting. And that day they, they used scales and sometimes people cheated. I'm sure that's shocking to you, but they cheated the scales and, and they made the scales where they were off. God says, my scales are always accurate. And he said, I put you on my scale with what I wanted and what you actually were. And I want you to know there was no substance to it. It was light. You found wanting. Lord, help us. I wonder when God looks at me right now what he thinks of me. I'm not real concerned about what you think about me right now. I'm concerned about what God knows about me. See, in the end, I'm not going to stand before you or with you. I'm going to stand face to face with a holy God who knows everything and give an account of my life. And so are you. And then Perez, he said, the kingdom's divided. Do you see the word divided? That's an interesting word. He's about to give it to the Medes and Persians. By the way, it happened. It happened the very night. It happened. We're going to see just the very night. It was divided, and the Medes and Persians came in and took over Babylon that they said could never fall. They diverted the river, the Euphrates River, and they walked in thousands of soldiers, Medes and Persian soldiers, walked in under the city walls on a dry riverbed, took over the city that could never fall. Don't you tell me that God can't do anything he wants to do any time he wants to do it. You better know that, my friend. Well, this word divided has captured me. Did you, did you ever think about what sin does? Can I tell you what sin does? It always subtracts and divides. It steals from you, and it brings division. What does God do? He's the exact opposite. He adds, and he multiplies. So you got to pick which one you want. I'm talking to every person in this room right now. you got to choose whether you want what, what you can get and what this world can offer or you want what God has for you. What do you know? And here's our verse. Look at verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldean slain. Just in that night. Look, friends, when God says that's enough, that's enough. There's a New Testament parallel of the story. Jesus told it about a rich guy who had lots of stuff, and it had him. And he was so full of himself and proud like Belshazzar was. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull down these barns and build greater ones because I'm telling you, I really got something going here. And Jesus said that God spoke to him and said, thou fool. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall those things be? In that night, Belshazzar was slain. This fool, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. So I want to ask you a personal question, and I'm done. If you knew tonight you were going to die, what would you do today? It is 11.08 at this moment. If at midnight tonight you got just over 12 hours, at midnight tonight you knew, you knew. By the way, some things we don't know. Would you agree with that? For all we do know, there's some things we don't know. 
Somebody said, if I knew where I was going to die, I wouldn't go there. That's a profound statement. I wouldn't either. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. And I'm glad I don't know. Aren't you glad you don't know? But if you knew at midnight tonight you had a divine appointment, God said to a man in the Old Testament named Hezekiah, set your house in order for you're going to die and not live. So what if God said that to you today? You've got 12 hours to live. What if you had 12 hours to live? What would you do in the next 12 hours? Is there any sin you'd confess to God? Any person you'd make restitution to? Any relationship you'd make right? Any, anybody you'd need to call or go see? Anything you'd need to deal with in your life? Anybody you should have spoken to about their soul that you've not yet done that? Anything the Holy Spirit has been prompting and tugging on you to do and you keep resisting that? Anything like that at all? Well, I want to say to you, whatever God has just brought to your mind, and it's different for everybody, do that today. I'm going to tell you why. Because someday, without our knowledge, the Lord will say, that's enough. And then in that night, the only thing that's really going to matter is what God knows. They asked John Wesley, they said, Mr. Wesley, if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? He said, same thing, I got scheduled. They, they looked at him kind of puzzled, and he said, that's right. He said, I'd, I'd go to the meetings I've already got planned, and, and I'd do this, and I'd do that, and I'd do this just exactly like I planned. And they said, how could you say that? And he said, in so many words, because as far as I know, I'm already doing what God wants me to do. They asked Martin Luther, they said, if you knew Jesus was coming tonight, what would you do today? And here's what he said. He said, I'd still go out and plant my apple tree. <laughs> and they said, plant your apple tree? You're not going to be here for the apples. But his point was this. As far as he knew, he had left nothing undone. He was ready to meet God, and he'd be happy to meet God exactly like he was. And I want to ask you today, if you had to meet God exactly like you are, would you be happy with that? Now, maybe the better question is, would God be happy with that? Or is there anything that God says, you know, this is what you need to do? If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.